1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous
3: day. <laughs> Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the BoJack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free, episode-by-episode audio-review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, BoJack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet.
2: And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And you know what, Michael? Mm -hmm. feeling, like, well-beaten by the week this week, but (laughs) I know that I'm ready for my injection into the arm of Podcast Horseman, which is going to save me and hopefully everybody who's listening. And with that in mind... As always, Michael, regardless of how tired we are, how worn out we are by life in general, you can call us the front of the plane because we are all business to begin with. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. You can also follow either of your hosts if you would like on Twitter. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas or you can follow Michael Hamflitz
3: at Michael Hamford, You can uh, find this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We would love you to subscribe and leave a review. A little bit more on that in a second. You can follow along on Spotify. You can catch us on Podbean, on Stitcher. We're there on acast website. We're also there as an embedded tweet on the app Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. Every Friday, a new episode goes up through the Acast player. And back to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you want to leave us a five-star review uh, with a little bit of texting, you can be absolutely horrible, you can be very nice, we don't care, you can just smash your keyboard with one fist. As long as you leave us a five-star review, you indeed could be inducted into the Hollywood talk of fame, another inductee coming at the end of this episode.
2: Indeed, and as long as it's a one-fist smashing into the keyboard that's consensual... I'll be happy with that <laughs> review. And let's move on to the Netflix synopsis, though. For this week's episode, it's season two. It's episode nine, and it's called The Shot. Bojack cooks up a scheme with Kelsey, Todd, Princess Carolyn, and Mr. Peanut Butter to steal a crucial shot for the Secretariat film. Michael Hmm. what about you?
3: Well, we're back to the Secretariat film, but I didn't really want to watch this episode from the second I started watching, because the mm. first words that hit my screen were 1972. Uh So regular listeners and viewers know that we're heading back to BoJack's difficult youth, which is never very nice. Um, We see President Richard Nixon back in 72 uh, uh, threatening to send Secretary, the real Secretary, to Vietnam. Secretary asks for a deal, which then cuts to a shot of him celebrating another win at the racetrack Uh, He's uh, just enjoying the fruits of his labor. He's uh, he's talking about his brother, Jeff Retariat, who was fighting in Nam. so he obviously realized that the deal is he sold out his brother to Nixon, and then goes on to call Nixon a groovy dude. All of this is, of course, seen by young Bojack in his little sailor suit, watching the television intently, hero-worshipping Secretariat. Secretariat then takes a long succulent suck on a cigarette, which inspires little young Bojack to do the same, stealing one from his mother's bag, but she catches him in the act, Uh, She forces him through his tearful apologies to finish the cigarette. She says she doesn't want to be the mother of a quitter in one of several caustic cutting lines at her son's expense, as usual. She mocks him even for not being able to do it properly as he cries in front of her. He asks her, and oh my God, this hit, he asks her if he was being punished for smoking or stealing. She says, I'm punishing you for being alive. It cuts back. The present-day Bojack, who is smoking over the top of his balcony, he throws a lit cigarette off it. We hear an absolute blaze in the sort of hedge rows below, and then Todd, resigned to his fate as if he has done this many times before, calls 911 for the fire brigade, and we hit the credits. This is sort of darkly funny, but as we always kind of have to caveat, it's no laughing matter.
2: An ice-cold open of the harshest sorts. That ends with a bit of a forest fire. <laughs> Courtesy of Bojack's Cigarette. Yes, this is... Uh, they're never pleasant, are they? You're right, that. As soon as you see 1972, you know we're in for a time. Most likely a flashback. And most of them, in fact, all of them, I think. <laughs> goddamn sad.
3: It's just, I think, we've touched upon this before, but we are dealing with a television show that is dealing with child abuse and no tricks of animation or no talking horses should take away from that because the show doesn't want you to take away from that. If anything, it's utilizing animation to be able to tell more of a story through things like flashbacks, the character of young Bojack is voiced like with such incredible heft by Will Arnett playing a childlike version of himself. The innocence is so real and raw in that character, and you can hear it being stripped away with every bit of abuse he takes off his mother. And, of course, the direct links to everything that happens to Bojack in the future kind of lets us in and foreshadows that we're going to see more of that in the episode. But it continues to be the making of him. We're only ever one episode away from Bojack doing something where he's a complete dickhead, and then we're also only one episode from learning a little bit about why and that's just one of the, like, uniquely magnificent shades of grey that this throws in, using the harshest topics of all.
2: Mm. Yeah, you're never far away from Bojack being a dick, are you? Let's be honest. And you say whenever usually an episode away it's usually you never five minutes away to be honest
3: with us <laughs> well, that does take us perfectly in to the start of the episode proper um, <laughs> Bojack is on the phone to Wanda who is at the house letting him know that the fire has put out all the cable in the area but Bojack kind of pies that off completely pies off any responsibility because he's back to his first day on set he's not really listening to Wanda he's not really interested he's buzzing in himself because he's back doing what he wants to do uh, he notes that he rang Wanda because he normally rings is Diane, but she's in Cordovia, which Wanda, like somewhat justifiably, is quite put out by, she notes that she doesn't really want to play a second fiddle to Diane, but Bojack completely no-sells that as well. In the most obnoxious Hollywood way imaginable, he just says, okay, bye, and like clicks her off the phone, not having acknowledged that she's quite hurt by this. Obviously, this flies back to the last episode where at the very end of uh, Hollywood Stars and Celebrities, what do they know, do they know things, let's find out. It was revealed that Bojack had kissed Diane. I say revealed, revealed to Wanda that Bojack and Diane had kissed and we didn't see it addressed up until this point. It wasn't even directly referenced. It was more referenced in Wanda's frustration and suspicion of what exactly his relationship with Diane is.
2: I am curious, Michael. What was the, um, can you remember the abbreviation for that at all, not?
3: I would love to share it with you. (laughs) Um, I I, I don't want to say something as flippant as it's not written down because that just simply isn't true. I've had a lot of tweets personally directed at me this week that said fact that a bit alienated by the abbreviation because <laughs> they they weren't aware of it themselves and this is not that kind of podcast this is a very inclusive community we look to mm. sort of aspire to here so i didn't want to be freezing people out so yeah. like some people may say that it's a bit too much exposition to give the full title not me like i just no. want to i just want to share with the viewers
2: you rather be honest to the source material i see what it is not to cater to all the hipsters who like to abbreviate things
3: as soon as we End this recording, I'll hit you with the abbreviation straight away, it's no bother, that can just be for us, That's, you know, the, the listeners don't want that, they want a review of the episode, anyway, yeah, yeah. And
2: That, <laughs> is the sound of a man who did not bring his notes.
3: <laughs> it's a CM star and or celebrity who does not know things. And anyway, uh, Bojack is immediately brought back down to earth when he gets to the set. Um, All that sort of bravado has been taken away from him because they've cut a scene he was thrilled to be doing. It was gonna be a retelling of that Richard Nixon story that we saw at the very start of the episode. Bojack imagined himself in the position of secretariat, selling out his brother because he saw that there was great truth and heft to that story. And obviously it meant a lot to his own youth and the memories that he's suppressed all this time. He was thrilled to be doing it. And they've replaced it with one that has Bojack giving out presents to a family of three while stuck in a chimney. You are absolutely instructed from every part of this scene to think that he has walked accidentally back into horse and in around. There are suddenly three children in Secretariat's life. There is suddenly a sitcom set dressing, uh, like sort of dressed set of the fireplace and the window and all that sort of stuff. Lenny me t- tell.
2: Michael, what would, would the theme song for this be? Three little orphans, one, two, three, and Secretariat up a chimney. <laughs> Very good. Then the racehorse said,
3: live with me! Live with me! Lenny Turtletop (laughs) explains that it was just a matter of budgets and focus creeps and all that minging stuff that you hear about that often leaves films in development hell or does some significant destruction to the process. Kelsey kind of just has to, like, sort of resign that show business, which uh, Lenny Turtletop rewards in a way that he never has done her work before. She merely shrugs her shoulders and he says, yeah, that's the shrug of a sh- that's the shrug of a pro who gets it. Good shrugging, kid. Lenny oh. Turtletop started life in this show as a sympathetic elder statesman of Hollywood, and as they have exposed that the elder statesmen of Hollywood are mostly scum, they are allowing his scum to show. His stomach is up, and we are seeing the bottom end of a tortoise who has been in this business too long to stay clean.
2: The shrug is the shrug for me. Made me feel as uncomfortable and sort of like a big sigh of disappointment as the. Hey, smile from the other episode yeah. with Diane in the airport. That's how bad it was. It's just it's disgusting, isn't
3: it? Good shrugging kid. Is Good shrugging kid. It's oh. a powerful three words, kid, like getting rewarded for something that she doesn't even want to do, all that sort of yeah. stuff. There's a there's a power dynamic at play with a with a acknowledgement or so-called praise as yeah. that is. It's it's like textbook awful like men in powerful positions, uh, which even Bojack has lorded over him as we cut to him in the scene, saying as secretariat, now I know a triple hug is better than a triple crown. You can <laughs> see, yeah, the interstitial horse and the loud music coming in under the background. Bojack comes off set just utterly despondent, begs Kelsey to just fix the film, and he lets a know of an Oval Office set she kind of makes it clear that like budgets is obviously a key reason why they just can't do it. She's had that beaten out of her, basically. But he says that he was once filming a scene where he became president in Boston Around. So he knows of an Oval Office set that exists in the Richard Nixon library. Um, he used it when shooting on location there, and he convinces her to do it guerrilla style. They just go there, they use their friends to distract the police while they get the scene and dash out, when nobody ever needs to know. Everything's gonna be fine. She goes along with it because. Somehow the slim slither of an artist in Bojack seems to convince her to want to do it. There is a curious relationship at play between director and actor in Bojack and Kelsey that we only really saw um, in bits when he got the part. She, because she's such a talented director, sees through Bojack the bad actor and sees Bojack the real person with lived in experience. That has always been why she's wanted him for Secretariat mm-hmm. Not because she's got 100 episodes of a bad night sitcom to use as a show reel, because she realizes that the real person can do this job. And Bojack in actually fighting for something has reminded her of that. And that's quite, that's a rare moment of sweetness between those two that I don't think has been explored since he got on set and started becoming, what are you doing here? Like he was losing himself. She was fighting for him to find the darkness of his real self. And he's done so here by fighting for this scene. I think it does, of course, help that it's the scene that he desperately wants to do as well. It doesn't hurt that he's a, like it's he's driven net. by his own ego to get this one out. Um, but that's like I, I feel bad because every time we babyface Bojack, we turn him heel ten seconds later. But that is the kind of the nature well, of his character somewhat.
2: He turns himself heel. Unfortunately, <laughs> we can try and see him in as much of an optimistic light as we want, but ultimately, he's always got an agenda somewhere along the line, has not he?
3: there is sadly always something lingering underneath. And we start to see that pretty quick as, uh, as Todd and Bojack hit the Nixon library to uh, to steal the uh, the makeshift version of the Oval Office so that Bojack can, like, kind of hatch this plan. They're there with um, a security guard who thinks that Richard Nixon is his dad, but we will get back to that later. In the meantime, while the security guard is completely distracted going off about Richard Nixon, Bojack hides the scale model in his top... Takes it home and then assembles what I can only describe as a lousy version of an Ocean's Eleven style heist team back at his apartment. Uh there's Todd, there's Princess Carolyn, there's Mr. Peanut, but there's character actor Margot Martindale, uh, who has been like brought into the situation. Uh she there's a lovely cutaway to this where she gets paroled, she takes four steps out of prison, and Bojack rolls up into mirrored shades to coax her into helping with the break-in. Um, she loves it. And also a panda who is uh, basically fixing Bojack's cable after the fire. He gets dragged into it whether he wants to or not with significant threats that he's not gonna survive this scene as well. He wants nothing to do with this. Um, Again, for the second time in this episode, Bojack quite cruelly overlooks Wanda's needs. Um, Wanda, who of course works in television, we are left to assume that her work has been probably significantly impacted by Bojack starting an enormous fire that's taken out everybody's cable. but as the assembled gang and the panda are kind of making their plan in the panda's case against his will she's trying to read scripts at home she's trying to do her work and bojack is second like bonder is secondary to bojack for the second time in this episode without bojack even showing the tiniest bit of realization that he's doing that to her
2: yeah it's it, do you know what it is this felt really kind of I, i've like I've, I've been in this scenario where there's there's two people in a house and one of them isn't considering that the other person's also there and now lives there and has that whole thing together. And he's just very much living and doing his literal schemes and capers for (laughs) his own personal gain. While Wanda, who is in a high pressure role, is trying to just do her work and he hasn't even bothered to tell other people are coming around. Not just people, Michael, he's got like a house of five people around. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking this would make me furious Mm. if I was like at home trying to do some work and someone wandered in a horse Wander's in the I mean, that would be weird enough. <laughs> but Wander's in with his little scale model and all of the bits that come with it. Yes, this was very, very bored, Jack,
3: this. I love my two beautiful children, but this certainly did hit hard from about the 15th, 16th week of working from home with them to entertain in <laughs> the background at the same time. I, uh, I referenced Ocean's 11 in the reference to that group, but I've noticed in my own notes twice I've called them the gang. So it does feel more appropriate to compare them to It's so it our Sunny in Philadelphia, because this absolutely was a ridiculous scheme by a gang of chancers that didn't really have <laughs> a hope in hell of pulling it off. Uh, so the gang break in... Um, while the endangered panda is constantly being told by princess Carolyn and mr peanut butter that he may well die um unfortunately princess Carolyn gets distracted by the serenity of a thomas kincaid painting in the gallery and um, we're going to talk about princess Carolyn a little bit later on the podcast as we do but she's seen this this uh middle distance house on a riverbed that looks quite like bojack's main fantasy it's that sort of woodland retreat type look um <laughs> because, of course, they're in the discount fine art gallery. Um, I should have pointed out before. There's various bits of find out, but it's that that she sees, and that's where they've got to cause a distraction for the security guard. And um, in the meantime, Bojack, Mr. Peanut Butter, and Kelsey are in the White House uh, or the White House set. We learn here that Mr. Peanut Butter has also done a presidential storyline in uh, Peanut Butter's house, which Bojack fumes about. While Mr. Peanut Butter questions allowed if they stole it from them. But brilliantly, when Bojack talked about this before, he noted that in horsing around, the idea was so bad. They just dropped it cold, <laughs> and it still wasn't the worst season of this piece of trash show. In Peanut Butter's house, Mr. Peanut Butter, the character, gives up the job because he realizes it's more important to be a good dad. Which is again a wonderful moment of the side-by-side lives that the real and character lives of Mr. Peanut Butter and Bojack Horseman are living. Um, yeah, and Bojack, it was I think he said it was something like it was all a dream. So it was just so yeah. cold and back to normal. Um, the Nixon security guard catches them, but Bojack convinces him to play Richard Nixon, which, of course, he absolutely loves. Um, we learn a few more about the beliefs of this guy and how it, like, how he's done the maths of the family tree of how he could be Richard Nixon's son. But meanwhile, the police rumble, the rest of the gang go over at the Fine Art Museum. Uh, one of the cops turns out to be a huge Margot Martindale fan But can't remember her name. He's a fan of her, the character actor. This is a wonderful joke they play on that she's character actor Margot Martindale, the cursed life of a character actor where you've seen them in CSI, or you've seen them in this, or you've seen them in that, but you can never remember the name, just they do these parts. She immediately turns, goes full prison style, remembers the life that she's barely left behind, completely snaps, pulls a gun on the officer, resulting in Alan the panda taking a bullet to his phone rather than to his heart, which he then sees a message on to note that his wife has gone into labor with a baby, he's gonna be a dad, and he subverts all your expectations and just leaves the scene. The panda gets away scot-free, having been saved by the news that his wife's got to labor, which is, again, probably quite telling that he is not part of the always sunny dynamic of this gang because he was too good for this ridiculous mess that these characters have found themselves in, this gunfight going on in a fine art museum. Princess Carol, as should point out, was still trapped in the picture, Um, where at this point while the gunfight is happening in the background we uh, hear and see that she has made in this fantasy Vanessa Gecko her maid (laughs) and slave because (laughs) Vanessa's (laughs) husband left her and her kids married each other incestuously which is just the dark, I think the dark heart of Princess Carolyn's professional jealousy with uh, Vanessa Gecko shows itself quite nicely Um, Worth a pause there because across those two scenes we obviously saw much in the way of Bojack and Mr. Peanut Butter's always wonderful tie ins throughout the course of their life, as well as the glorious, grandiose return of character actor Margot Martindale.
2: How is it that in two ridiculous scenarios, Bojack and his show, Mr. Peanut Butter and his show, even in that world, <laughs> Peanut Butter is one up in Bojack because they take this high road? Whereas Bojack's writing and the Herb Kazaz's writing is so bad. That season three is entirely him as the president, and then season four is it was all a dream. <laughs> the literal one cliche that nobody is allowed to ever do unless it was was it like the Twilight Zone or something who did something along those lines. Dallas, the, the guy
3: walking out the shower. Dallas, Dallas like that Bobby, was
2: it. You walking, Dallas, oh, where
3: you been, yeah. Bobby? And it, like that ruined an entire season because he was in I the shower all along.
2: I think actually there may have been both, but that, that's yeah. the one I'm thinking of—the shower scene. Um, I mean, that's brilliant, isn't it? peanut butter get to the heart of the matter as a, <laughs> a good dog dad because he is Michael he's a good boy yes he is yes he is but <laughs> on on top of that though you've also got in this other fantasy world Princess Carolyn who gets completely lost in I guess you could call it it's her happiest but also it's you could take a leaf out of communities but you could say it's her darkest timeline in terms <laughs> of Vanessa Getgo is his slave everything's <laughs> gone wrong for Vanessa Getgo in her life at least and meanwhile while that's all happening We've got this chaos happening with Margot Martindale and the cops. But on top of that, the one, one touch I thought was great, which I'll just chuck in as a freebie here, yeah. Alan the panda, we've all been certain he was going to die from from the get-go. And he's even wearing a red T-shirt, Michael, to cover up what would undoubtedly be all of the blood that's about <laughs> All of the signs were there, and yet he's a red heron or a red panda in this scenario. A red panda, very good. Just gets out the room and goes off to go. And on top of that, even bigger than this, He's supposed to be an endangered species.
3: <laughs> and he's off to have kids. That's, That's massive. It. It's huge. Not only has one survived, but they've managed to multiply. We're going to get more pandas as a result of Margot Martindale causing a fine art gallery gunfight. <laughs> We're going get awesome more season. pandas
2: because the panda didn't panda to the
3: lunatics. <laughs> Very good. I do like really? that. He never, Alan never pandered, Alan he? Never, he pandered. never pandered. You've got to admire that. Um, we are trying to set up the scene still. Um, I should point out, by the way, that the only reason Peanut Butter's gone along is because he wants to be Richard Nixon's dog, Checkers, despite the fact that he's fully dressed. He wants a speaking <laughs> role. Uh, but anyway, it doesn't matter because Bojack can't do the scene that we've seen play out in real life because he can't cry. He can't summon Secretary's tears about the prospect of being in trouble with the president. Or at least he says he can't cry in front of other people. It's delaying the shot. Um, and as are Mr. Peanut Butter and Nixon's son. Um, Oh, well, we assume Nixon's son anyway. Um, But they sort of eventually bond over the respective rejections that they shared in real life, which kind of like moves them out of the way and allows Bojack to find a little bit more of a comfort level. He still can't summon the tears. Um, He just can't do it. But at this point, this is where Kelsey, the director, steps up huge. She rises up to the kind of platform that Bojack built for her by even getting her to do this scene in the first place. She says, this is the moment, secretary, it stops running. The moment you realise something inside you is broken and it can never be fixed. She's obviously... She doesn't know that we have heard those exact lines before, as spoken from Bojack's own mother to himself. But she lets those lines breathe just a second. Bojack stares cold into the camera, and she simply says, we got it. That's all it took, because obviously what she's done, she's managed to tap into the reality behind the actor. Um, Bojack says in again like another sort of sweet moment to end the scene well between the two of them she says didn't know I had didn't know I had it in me did you and she simply replies yeah I knew and that endorsement sends him outside for a quick tab a quick break and just as he lights up he bursts into tears and I mean sobs and we'll obviously you know we'll go back to the next part of this episode but it feels like a, a quite helpful stopping point because for an episode that started with Bojack triggering Kelsey's sort of directorial powers, she has then used them to get what she wanted out of Bojack all along, which was the real Bojack Horseman, not a guy playing secretariat.
2: I thought this was tremendously well done. Um, Kelsey just saying she believes in him. Kelsey saying that she knew he had it in him. And we'll look at the mirror with the mirror effect we get. Bojack is outside. He has a cigarette. He starts to cry because he's emotionally overwhelmed because he's tapped into all of this. We go back to the very beginning of the episode. Bojack has a cigarette and ultimately begins to cry when he's being forced to have the rest of the cigarette. I mean, it's just absolutely brilliant, this stuff. And talk about draw, drawing on his past and then obviously helping him to try and get over some stuff as well at the same time. Brilliant stuff, this.
3: The idea that one of the reasons amongst many, obviously, because this hits so close to home, but the idea that he's never heard those that word broken, or he's never heard that type of phrasing, followed up by something supportive. It's normally mm. just a wacky stack of grief that he's taken from his mother, or taken from others, or taken from the voices inside his head. If he's hearing the phrase, you are broken, you can't be fixed, all those things like that, it's normally just part of confirmation of that. She mm. says that to get those feelings out of him, and then follows it up by something incredibly supportive about his craft. So it's completely like understandable why he wouldn't be able to do anything with that other than to break down completely. As he says, he can't do it in front of other people. So he does manage to hold on long enough, which is quite interesting that that, I would say, is the other part of the opener being played out in person. It's that memory that he suppressed so hard. He doesn't want to feel that again. He thinks he feels all of it, but it's that bit that he still wants to keep to himself. Those tears have to happen when he's in complete isolation.
2: I think it's also a nice... Like that's a perfect way to sum it up but I think it's also a nice a nice callback to um, the line he says last season when he's talking to Vincent Adultman of all people <laughs> and he says that he was born with a born with a leak or a, a hole or whatever he says <clears> and yes. all the good um, just leaked out of him basically is what he said and he's got nothing left and I just thought it was great that someone Kelsey gives him some good she tops him up with some good and what happens yeah. it just comes out he pours out of his eyes in the form of him crying and I just thought it's so, just this show, man, BoJack Horseman is better than the show that you like. It's as <laughs> simple as that.
3: It's a magnificent take, that, and it's worth mentioning that we wouldn't even able to tap into that had it not been for the incredible counselling skills of three young boys stood on each other's shoulders in a rain jacket. <laughs> Clearly wearing a rain jacket with <laughs> a hat. We're, uh, we're briefly back to uh, Princess Carolyn's pictures picture dream life where it's all gone a bit wrong Vanessa Gecko's getting better clients and she notes like quite brilliantly and again we will get to PC's story throughout this as a proper plot but she says if you actually wanted a simple life you'd probably have it and that snaps it out of that simple life back into the incredibly complex reality of bullets still absolutely flying but she walks past the whole scene she leaves it as if it's not even happening as if it is a background play that character actor Marga Martindale is a character actor in and even Todd just surveys it and says yeah I'm out of here as well like he, le- he leaves Margaret Martindale to the gunfight yet again uh, even through sideways means this time Marga Martindale's relationship with Bojack is probably not going to end well for it as a result something has snapped within her but it didn't at least in this case snap within Todd and Princess Carolyn it was as if they were coming out of the I keep going to CSI and I don't offend anybody who watches that show but it just feels like one that would house a lot of character actors with bizarre action sequences at the end so I use it it feels like in abandoning her, they were leaving the episode of CSI that it accidentally stumbled into. They are not character actors. Todd and Princess Caroline are real people in Hollywood. Margaret Martindale is in all sorts of bother as both herself and this person, this actor that she can't get out of. A little bit of it is probably portraying film villain because that was what psyched her up to cause all those other issues in the first place and go to prison the first time. She's probably a lost cause this time, partly due to her profession and partly due to a toxic relationship with Bojack.
2: I mean, obviously shooting at police officers doesn't help either, like, but, <laughs> but yeah.
3: Like, this is right. It's piss- I'm doing some analysis now. It's just piss funny. Like, it's really, yeah, really yeah, funny. Yeah. But, yeah. It, but it's brilliantly done. But I
2: think also there's, there's some great commentary. here. Yeah, just, they've done it a couple of times now throughout the show, but there's just some great comedy on how how common gun violence is over in America as well. Princess Carolyn literally comes out of a painting, like, uh, obviously being in a bit of a dream world. And instead of turning around and being like, oh, my God, there's a shoot-off happening in this gallery. <laughs> She's just like, all smiles. I've figured out life and just strolls out of the shop. No, it doesn't even bat an eyelid, which is just
3: madness. It also reminds you of how they've used the group coming together to suggest that there are stakes attached. Like, oh, how come we need to do A before we can do B, and we need to do B before we can do C? Now it matters. Like, yeah. no, it's <laughs> this town, this town is ridiculous. Now it matters that it actually matters, unless like a woman like Kelsey is in charge of making it matter. Um, we're back to uh, Bojack, who turns up on set the next day. Obviously, he's pretty pleased himself and got the shot. Uh, Lenny Turtletop is in a frank mood. He's rather brutal in his delivery and his words. He's uh, he's angry about getting the shot. He's heard about them. Uh, I should point out the set is very much what we saw at the start of the episode. We're back. The family are in the living room. The three daughters are there. The chimneys are all sort of ready to go. <laughs> um, he's sort of Bojack's a little bit worried a bit rattled. And then at the end of his little diatribe, Lenny Turtletop simply says. Silly me, I didn't like that. So I fired her ass, and uh, Kelsey's gone. That they went and got the shot by themselves, that they went and used their initiative, that in Lenny's mind, a woman like left her lane to go and film something that she didn't have done. She got sat. And then Lenny up, says, uh, we got a movie finished. So go get in costume, get your butt up that chimney and do your thing, Hamlet. So of course, Hamlet being a way to kind of mock Bojack's one attempt to try and be an actor to try and apply himself to this craft, apply himself to the story. And he's effectively mocked by a, a powerful Lenny Turtletop, a power mad Lenny top because at this point he's taken over the complete production of the film in sacking Kelsey for what? Trying to produce art, trying to make something good without the without bother, without being worried, should I say it, about one of the excuses that he gave, which was budgets. they have done it around that. This clearly wasn't about budgets. This was about him being undermined. This was about him feeling like somebody was trying to challenge his superiority at the top of the tree. Um, He, Bojack has no choice, obviously, but to, to do the scene. Um, we see him, well, we assume, we're left to assume he's done it because he's driving back from the set, looking the opposite of the guy that was driving to it. He looks riddled with just remorse. There's so much to the anime on a, a talking horse's face in one shot. You can see the guilt of potentially being a reason why Kelsey was fired. You can see a little bit of subdued anger over all of that emotional outpouring being for nothing. It's incredible what they managed to get across in just a split second of him in a car. Um, But we get yet another, what are you doing here? He arrives back at home and Diane is on his doorstep. Um, she said she didn't know where else to go, so can she stay and seen? But it's not, mm-hmm. is it? Because we find out why Diane has found herself there. Before we get to that, let's do princess carolyn's arc we've talked a little bit about her being in the picture obviously this is because she's starting to question her worth at vigour and we see in a, in a cutaway scene back to the vigour offices that ruta baker has hauled her in her supply closet there is a sense of romance and that obviously now that we know he's going through his divorce he's still trying to like sexually manipulate her somewhat but it's Intentionally, with talks about professional progression, he is absolutely using his romantic intentions to try and abuse his privilege with Princess Caroline. But ultimately, he's saying he wanted to leave Vigor to go with him. He kind of alludes to starting his own company without going into the actual details of it. Um, she notes that, like, what would Vigor do without her because she still waters the plants, which is just how they've kept her in line. And the worst thing is, that's true. Um, she says she doesn't want the craziness of a big lifestyle change. Um, and then he Again, in that awful way that he does, just finds the right words to say to kind of neg her into falling in line with him. He says he could ask Vanessa Gecko, but he'd rather look at Princess Carolyn. Now, that's not done in that mm. overtly sleazy Hollywood way that you might have been used to in BoJack Horseman. That is not somebody covered in, if you think about the burger attendant in Human Traffic, covered in grease. That line is yeah. not delivered like a lech. That is delivered like somebody trying to manipulate. He hasn't even got power yet. He's got the implied idea of power by suggesting that he can have a company. And here is his first attempt to flex that power. Um, They look as if they're about to kiss in this incredibly tender embrace in the supply closet. And uh, then before they get the chance, uh, they're interrupted by Princess Carolyn's new intern, um, Stuart, who bursts in asking if she's the one to unplug the toilet. He's got a plunger in his hand. Uh, And regrettably, she is. Because mm. goddamn this industry, goddamn Hollywood, and uh, goddamn all of them for doing that to Princess Carolyn. But we obviously see her go through that experience in the picture. Flash forward to the very end of the episode, she's back in the bigger offices. Uh, Baker's in the lift. Princess Carolyn gets to them within the last minute, and he says, Are oh, you getting in? She gets in. We see a kiss just before the door closes, and she says, I'm all in. So that's how her episode ends, having had that experience in the picture with Vanessa Gecko. This was another tough week for Princess Carolyn.
2: Yeah, funny week, this one, wasn't it? Because, um, She's kind of trying She's trying to second-guess herself at this point and whereabouts she is professionally and personally. We've seen throughout this show that she's been constantly undermined, overlooked, and it would be only right that it would be in the back of her head. Rudabega knows this. He's, and we've watched him, haven't we? We've watched him be... He's, he's dangerous, Rudabega. He he's, comes across to like a very nice guy. And in the context of what he says could always be construed as him being nice. But there's one that's always an agenda... And then two, it's all about the context of how he says these things and what he's trying to do. At the meantime, I just couldn't get over how, I guess probably with everything that's going on in the real world right about now, like mm-hmm. how intense it felt. The sort of he's like, we need to go into this store closet, you and I, right this second, and they go flying in, and then they're stuck in these close quarters together. And he's so imposing on her. He's constantly trying to impose what he wants, how he feels. Him, 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 him. Very, very self-centered but also that in an episode where we see other people get the similar sort of treatment from men in Hollywood, it just, it just felt sleazy, didn't it? I'm always, I was almost glad when Stuart burst into the cupboard.
3: It, 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 again, we've said this about these two before. This isn't a sitcom meet-cute. No. Once upon a time, male writers would have wrote this for female characters to be the sort of, we saw it last week brilliantly, where you think the cutaway is going to be, and that's how I married your mother, and it's Todd yeah. saying, "That's how I got this pen," because that woman knew better than to get with this idiot yeah. Todd that she has yeah. been spending time with. And this was the same again here. There was a sh- there were shows once upon a time that would have had the woman fall into the guy's arms and blush and be like, oh, "Okay, you've trapped me in a supply closet. You've kind of manipulated me. Let's kiss," but not anymore. And um, there are lots of examples in Bojack Horseman about how, and again, we're just we're just fans uh, like of this program, but you have to sense that there are women in that writer's room, um, speaking very loudly about their lived-in experiences of the horrors of this industry, and then they're inserting it in that shot. I just, I, with the greatest respect to the the whole team that put BoJack together, I can't imagine uh, a man that has managed to achieve a certain level of success in Hollywood has gone through what the women have to be in the same writer's room, and everything from the choice of the supply closet and the lift, which is often the case, of of sort of an enclosed space, the dialogue and even the cadence of Rudabaker's delivery, all of that from every time that we've seen him interact together, every single time, from the negging of his wife, from the moment that he chooses to be honest about the fact that there's getting a divorce to this now, all of this has been maybe not entirely calculated but something that he's been happily to let linger in the background because he'd rather hold the power over just in case. That's a very male thing. Better have that one over it just to keep it in my back pocket. And it just feels so lived in and, as you say, uncomfortable in all the right ways with, you know, like we're recording this now in uh, July 2020, so it feels very topical at the moment. But I hope somebody listens to this in July 2030. And Mm. yes, I can't imagine that even then it won't be still topical. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I think, do you know what, the real sad part about all of this is that despite the fact everything you've just said and how well Sort of nuanced it's been and how well approached it's been and how many minds have been picked I'm sure for this to try and really get it right what are we seeing that's happening is that Princess Carolyn, the smartest character we know on this show pretty much, she's the most like Diane might be the the truth, the one who sticks to the reality and the truth no matter what Princess Carolyn is the smartest one on there because she knows what she's doing, she knows how to play the game and ultimately she's fallen for it isn't she, she's Mm. fallen for the tricks of this guy who is ultimately worn her down I mean what are we nine episodes in now and yeah. we've watched slowly but surely whether it's been subtle hints or a lot less subtle hints Rudy has just tried his best to wear her down wear her down wear her down knowing full well that she isn't quite in a happy position herself and he's also worried by his own self um selfish agendas basically because he's split up with his wife doesn't want to be alone does he so yeah. there's no guarantees of anything yeah he just he seems like a very scared rabbit who wants to find someone else to look after him while he's trying to figure out what the rest of his life entails.
3: I think the um, use, his use and abuse of closed doors was particularly mm. a powerful visual metaphor as yep. well, because she's had a lot of doors closed lately. And those doors closing on her are gonna make her feel like she's slightly under the gun or slightly feeling like she needs to make a change. She's even had the door closed on her own fantasy life as Vanessa Gecko shuts it and goes, bye, on her, in, inside that painting. And what does Rudabek do? He closes. He closes doors very literally with her inside them. She'd rather be all in, as she puts it, than mm. left on the outside. And he's watched most of that happen, and he's been in a position to take take advantage of that.
2: It's a really good observation that because not only does he close the doors, but moments before we, he's the one opening them. He looks mm. like he's let. He looks like he's letting her in. Yeah. But I guess that's the nature of a door, isn't it? one doorway that looks like you're getting let in but that, when that door shuts behind you you've been locked in two yep. very different things and that's such a good observation like the doors closing in our face are, are totally there but he's lured her in with the sense of the door's open come on in like oh man this show
3: it's unsettling it's it's one of the things where again every other show from the kiss in the lift to the i'm gonna take that chance it's yeah. always been, like, and to a point where I literally can't think of another one, as we have this conversation, has always, always used that as the happy ending device, mm. and that's not the case there. No, it's not, it's not really know, the happy ending at all. You were not given the uh, sort of, I realised a triple hug is better than a triple crown. That wasn't <laughs> this ending of this episode. You were left with real, real uneasy feeling in your stomach about her getting in that lift and kissing mm. him. It, it, like, you want what's best for her, and you kind of feel like what you're watching is not that... And that kind of brings us neatly to uh, where the episode ended. Let's go back to where it began with Diane. We missed Diane, of course, in the last episode because she'd gone to Cordovia. There was a very awkward conversation that she had with Mr. Butter, where they agreed to disagree about a number of the things that they wanted to do in their future. But ultimately resorted on her getting on that plane to go and document Sebastian St. Clair um, through her narration. And. Um, Obviously, she's trying to write the book on him and write, the, write his story, as it were. So through her narration, we learn about his life as a wealthy business owner before the cause of starving children overcame him, this allows for a really, really funny Mr. Burns-esque cutaway that frames, <laughs> frames him exactly as he should be as a billionaire. There are no babyface billionaires. He's shouting out of his mansion. Children, shut up, shut up! As if the noise of starving children has overpowered him, like which completely reframes his want to be this incredible philanthropist, which is very important for what's going to happen over the course of the episode. Uh, it's just, it's a me, me, me project. But how he uses that to his own gains is that they do need him. They need his
1: help. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Globe Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.
0: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Uh, as long as he is there to
3: help, or in this case, be seen to be helping, then technically, technically he is helping because money is a resource, if not a means about doing things, um, which Diana has to learn pretty quickly. Uh, he says that she's good. And Diane, like, notes that and, like, notes that it means something to be called good by him, which is kind of an acknowledgement of his status and his wealth and his power, which is not necessarily something that Diane would normally be wooed by, but that feels very much like where she's at in her life at the moment with the kind of marriage on the rocks and her sort of career uncertainty and things like that. Ultimately, what she did get from it was that, like him she's part of something bigger than herself. Being there in Cordova while bombs go off and children have their legs blown off and all sorts of genuine sort of chaos, by documenting what he's doing, just like he's documenting what he's doing, that is better than doing nothing at all. So she reconciles early doors. She bonds with a sick child Kinko, but he reminds her that she's there to write about him helping them, not write about the people themselves. And there's the big line here, obviously, Um, that the people can give money to his foundation. The documentation of this event and this thing that he's currently doing has never been clearer. Should I say the stakes of him doing it have never been clearer. It's not even just about him being written about in the way that Bojack was written about, it's about him being presented for what you imagine to be a room full of shareholders, a room full of stockholders, and a room full of people at charity auctions, donating money because they've read and seen and heard things about him being over there, like raising lots of money, doing good, being pictured with like Kinko here while he's ill. Um, He even sort of like, I think he pies Kinko away when it looks like he's gonna sneeze on him, things like that. He has no no care for them, but unlike what we saw in those cutaways when he was on the phone, he's now not shy about telling Diane that because he wants her there to do a job. Again, it's establishment of a power dynamic that wasn't really there over the phone. She was made to feel empowered when she was asked to be there and now she's there. You kind of feel like she's got the artistic version of the runaround job she had on the set. Um, Mm -hmm. He constantly talks about himself, Um, which Diane gradually tires of and then she sees the real him when Kinko and a lot of other children die in a a sort of a sudden like aggression of bombings basically there's just bang 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 bang. Kinko's gone along with the other kids he's not bothered while she battles with herself because she's bonded with this child over the last few days Um, but she says she can handle it she says she's got this she can do this she's trying to show some grit because she still just about believes in his cause Um, as he puts it in quite a powerful line um, he is needed because hospitals are for the living, not the dead, and he's there to build hospitals, which again puts yes. her in quite a difficult position. Um, which like I can say we are led to believe that she's going to stay there and stick it out, but of course, as we've seen, she has ended up at BoJack's house. Um, we learn this because um, she calls Mr. Peanut Butter, and uh, he says that he's really proud of her. Everything has changed from the original reasons why she went to Cordovia. In his heart, he's had time to think while she's been away. Um, she says, "Oh, it's hard, but it's good," um, and she doesn't tell him that she's actually back in LA. This phone call is happening through a nice pull-away reveal in LAX baggage claim. She's back home. She elects not to tell him, and we learn through their conversation through Mr. Peanut Butter saying, "Look, it's six months." But we can get through this. Anyway, you know, they're going to fly by. i got to go. I've got to do my game show. They say they're both proud of each other. Like this somehow has actually brought their marriage together after a bit of time of reflection, right as she's got off the plane from Cordovia. Um, she says in the last words we see before she ends up back at Bojack's place, the book you were writing in your head was never going to be a book. So you stop. Stop. That's... An unfinished sentence by design, in case I wasn't able to get that across. She doesn't, she's not able to finish that thought because she very literally isn't able to finish that thought. Mm. And again, to scale back, she has chosen Bojack as the one person she can take solace in during this challenging time. A big E for Diane, this one. A really big one.
2: Yeah, huge, isn't it? Um, Huge. It completes the trifecta we get in this episode of women struggling with the power dynamics of Mm. men. Um, But most importantly, I think, with Diane is that. She's trying to figure out if she can, if do the needs justify the means. No, is that the mean? or How does that saying go again? The means uh, justify the ends. ends, the means. ends justify yeah. the means. There you go. I tell you what, it's been a long week, my God. <laughs> um, but yes, that um, very much. Diane like spends this whole episode trying to figure out if appearing to do good, but by proxy doing good as a result of that, is still indeed good or is that even real good when actual people are dying? And, and the only thing that Sebastian St. Clair seems to be bothered about is his coverage, which in a world full of Instagrammers feels like it was really on the money in 2015. This, yeah, um, And like the, the dark underbelly of all of these great philanthropists we all see who are like doing such great work, but what does it actually really mean? Um, I'll go back to it. I mentioned it. I think I mentioned it on this podcast before. The ice cream man, Michael, who was behind the ice cream van smoking a cigarette when I was younger at that festival. God damn it. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Dark in the belly of the world. But yes, um, huge for Diane. The fact she actually come, comes back. The, there's a huge dynamic here, isn't there? She's doing it again. Of She's going to go and write another book about another selfish, self-centered asshole who is trying to change the perception of themselves in the wider world for personal gain, nothing else. Like, ultimately, you might be doing it under the guise of nice things. I know Bojack's situation was slightly different, shall we say. But ultimately, it's the same idea, the same end goal. And Sebastian Sinclair doesn't really care about any of this. So she ends up back home. And I just think, how important is that that she's ended up at Bojack's house of all places?
3: I think they frame her decision really well as... It being partly to do with the ethics of what Sebastian St. Clair's doing, but partly with the thinking that maybe she can't do it. Diane wanted to go to Cordova because she didn't feel like she was being tested, telling people not to trip over a cable. She's tested herself, and she's doubted what she can actually do. And I don't think that that's on Diane. I think that's on Sebastian St. Clair's treatment of her while she's there. She hasn't gone over on a false pretense, but she certainly, while she's there the way she's being dragged from pillar to post in a war-torn country is not there to kind of like support what she's trying to get out of the project and i don't think she shouldn't be she feels weak for having like failed this test and that's why she turns to bojack because she wants to almost swim in it she wants to like she wants to know what she wants to go somewhere where she can luxuriate in feeling like she's failed and feeling like she's weak she acknowledges that that is at the root of their bond
2: I'm sorry, Michael, did you just suggest that perhaps a character called Diane would like, <laughs> would like to go somewhere where everybody knows her name?
3: Is that what you're suggesting? You're always glad I came, Nicholas, honestly. But, <laughs> I am,
2: I'm always <laughs> glad you came.
3: <laughs> nah, it's, it's just for them, again, like they're, they're very, very careful how they have Diane show weakness because she's such a rock. She's such a rock. Um, as we saw in the Hank Hippopopolis episode, strong as an ox uh, when someone like her shouldn't be. Um I shouldn't say strong as an ox because there will be an ox in a muscle man dance outfit at some point in Bojack <laughs> <or something. laughs> Horseman. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought that was really, really well done. Is that the use of Bojack's place in particular and a conversation with Bojack um highlights that she feels like she's let herself down.
2: I think there's two parts of that as well, isn't there? Because you could kind of maybe even suggest that there's a maybe a subconscious level of going to Bojack's, obviously for comfort, yes, but also maybe Where else is she going to feel better about herself than going with a horse who is literally the worst? Like, (laughs) he's the worst, isn't he? So, yes, misery loves company, but also, like, it might make her fractionally feel better being surrounded by someone she knows is worse than her, definitely. But I think on top of that, we forget because you have just mentioned it there, she's dealing with a lot, man. She's been through quite a lot this season already. Like, the Hank Hippopopolis stuff was intense. People were telling her that each on the street, like, and she had to go through all the rigmarole of actually talking and like speaking out, which of course right now, as we recall, this is quite a big deal. Um, and that must have absolutely exhausted her. And she's then literally gone straight to war-torn Cordovia and is probably emotionally, physically, and every other Lee exhausted because life has just completely taken its toll on her.
3: Mm -hmm. It's a, it's, I think you kind of like, you alluded to it before as well. It's, a worthwhile message that runs throughout the episode. Uh, we've it's every week, man. Well, like we might as well just add it to feature. Let's talk about how women were done on because yeah. it happens in the ABC and D plots. If you want to include Margot Martindale in the D-plot, a policeman yeah. does not know her name. She's been dragged into this life by Bojack Horseman. Uh, maybe she wasn't so, a so. woman, maybe she'd be showing decides, more respect to the actor. It's
2: a man who decides whether well she gets to stay or leave prison.
3: Yeah. Um moving up in like sort of economies of scale to Kelsey. The director who is just like ruthlessly pied off, not just by Lenny Tilttop, but by the very gears of Hollywood. Like that's it's designed, it's rigged against her, as it always was, as it is Princess Carolyn, and now as it is Diane. We need these ones because the women don't. The women don't get to win. The women are winning most of the time because the men are so thick and stupid, and the women keep yeah. this world together. But in the grand scheme of things, they're left as the losers, and that's probably the truth that the program makers wanted to confront.
2: Yeah, I think so, and just to add into that, everybody kind of lost in this episode, didn't they? There wasn't really any winners in the end. Even Sebastian Sinclair loses Diane, Bojack loses Kelsey and the scene that he wants in the film, and he has to do something he doesn't want to do ultimately in the end. Poor Richard Nixon's illegitimate son (laughs) loses. He's the scale model of the Nixon library. (laughs) You know, everybody loses something. Obviously, I'm not overlooking the three women who lost the most in this one, I would say, but... Fascinating stuff. A lot of L's being hoied around. Shall we get some W's for the column, Mike?
3: Yes, please. I like that,
2: Let's get some W's, and let's do the part of the show we call horsing Around, where we go back and look through the episode and find all the hidden meanings behind things, all the small details you might have missed, all the Easter eggs and all that sort of thing, because bloody hell, we probably need some W's after all that. So let's go back to the (laughs) very beginning. This one isn't really a hidden meaning to anything. This is just, I thought, was great. I loved the fact that at the very beginning... With uh, Secretary talking to Nixon, and he says how he's got his—he's he's, he's the president of the goddamn United States, and it is of <laughs> course etched on his literal business card. The president of the United States has a business card. <laughs> Brilliant stuff there. Brilliant. Um, back to Bojack's house. Just a quick little observation. We noticed that the baboon is still running, Michael. He's still running up that hill. Oh,
3: love that guy. I love that guy. Hill.
2: He's running up that hill. <laughs> Um, we go over to of Vigo offices and I always call it Vigo and it's Vigor and I always call it Vigo though. Vigor offices, it's because it's spelt with the American spelling, I think, maybe.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, anyway, little observation here. While Rudebega was and continues to be a piece of sh- I thoroughly enjoyed him saying to Princess Carolyn, Princess Carolyn, you're my gritty witty city kitty. I want you with me fitty fitty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, during his proposition to start a business together, which I thought was lovely stuff, despite the fact he's a swine. Although he's mm. not a swine, he's a rabbit, but never mind. <laughs> um, inside that closet though, Michael, were a bunch of supplies, cleaning supplies mm. and other things. We got um, a few little takes on what you might already know. Windux instead of Windex, of course, mm. for window cleaning. Right. Wow. We got uh, porcupine sole instead of pine sole, which is obviously this great <laughs> scent. And also we got Flylon, which we have seen in previous episodes, but I technically hadn't clocked, but Flylon isn't actually the name of the brand. The brand of spray paint is Krylon, and this is the Bojack oh, nice. equivalent, uh, we go over to war torn Cordovia. And I well, just really enjoyed the billy goat that was roasting a tin can over a fire. I wasn't really <laughs> if there was too much relevance there, but I'll let you read into that one a little bit more. Um, loved the gag where Sebastian Sinclair was feeding the kids soup and actually just wasn't paying attention and just poured boiling hot soup on one of the kids' heads <laughs> them on the head. But Michael, you might have noticed it's standing next to the kid with the soup on his head was a kid, or certainly just a little bit behind, was a kid with a ball on her head. Why would you have a ball on her head, Michael? Oh. Maybe it's because it was the kid who has survived this long from season one who lost both of her arms and she couldn't get the presents that Sebastian Sinclair was trying to give her in the previous episodes. That was back in season one and therefore she's made it. She's still alive to this date. She was balancing a ball on her head but ultimately didn't get any soup because she found it too funny that her mate had had some ball <laughs> on her head. And that is head.
3: incredible that she's clung on, and also that she's been to the bowl cart before going to the seat cart. We've all made that mistake at the gravy cart, you know. That's where they get you. That's
2: <laughs> where they get you. There's also a kid who's wearing a Frankie Say Stuff t shirt, <laughs> which I thought was nice and cute. And um, we've got a flashback to Sebastian Sinclair talking about his department store ownership. There's a couple of signs there with a bunch of things on, so I'd write them, know them down. Just what he's selling in his department store. There's one sign that says, "Everything for everybody." He sells drapes. He sells Dutch wax. He sells cloaks. He says he sells millinery. He sells bridal taxidermy. He (laughs) sells, and he also sells wetsuits slash dry suits for anybody who wants. There's also it's a sign that says, "Luxury stocks at a remarkable price," in which he also sells spats, tuffets, false idols, and camping supplies. Selling false idols. I, like I know. That. Selling false idols, man. Right. Now we have another big, long list, as we find I am getting plenty of in these four horse- <laughs> this season. I'm not going to delve into these too much. I will give you the list, though, because in the Nixon library, um, there is a list of there's a bunch of stuff all to do with Nixon in there. And one of the things on the wall is the list of Richard Nixon's enemies. Now, there are <laughs> technically three lists, but you can only really see two of them. So I'll give you the names that are on there. Just a quick flash through. There is Arnold Picker, Alexander E. Barkin, Edwin Guthman, Maxwell Dane, Charles Dyson, Howard Stein, Allard Loewenstein, all clowns, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Not a huge fan of clowns. Morden Halperin, Leonard Woodcock, S. Sterling Monroe Jr., Bernard T. Feld, Sidney Davidoff, Walt Disney, Michael, because, of course, he's enemies with Walt Disney, John Conyers, Samuel M. Lambert. And Stuart Rawlings-Mott, who hmm. there's a whole bunch, like I say, there's another part of a list, but you just can't see it because two people obscure it. But also in there, Michael, there's a list of Richard Dixon's frenemies. <laughs> <laughs> because of course there is. So we have on that list a lot of people who were involved with him and the Watergate scandal. Some people are just these close personal friends. Hmm. I'll let you do your homework this time, though, podcast horseman listeners, because, like I said, there was just too many on this particular occasion. There's Bebe Rebozo. There's Richard Danner. There is Pat Nixon, who, of course, the one I will dive into, his actual wife. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, the first lady alongside him she was. We have Jeb Magruder, who was key in the Watergate scandal, and Gerald Ford, who was, of course, his vice president, who then ended up becoming the president along the way. There's also a a couple of cases with things in them, one of which is a case that just says, the fog of war. (laughs) (laughs) A case full of fog, which I thought was great. There's also a little jar within a casing that says 1960s Debate Sweat, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably yeah a really, really important resource to have in that little jar. Oh, Nixon, I, imagine. I imagine so, but not as important, Michael, as Nixon's bowling ball, <laughs> <laughs> which is also in there. But the two pics of the pics that are in this room for me are the paintings or photographs that are on the walls. One of them is a photograph of the famous Spiro Agnew, although he's not called that in this. He's called Spiro Agnewt, Michael, because he is dressed up as a newt in the picture. That is, of course, the vice, former vice president of the United States of America. And the other painting, which is a wonderful callback, this there's a picture of Richard Nixon, Michael, with Elvis Presley. They've met each other. There's a handshake going on. But Elvis Presley is, of course, a hound dog because he's Elvis Presley. <laughs> and you might be thinking... Adam, I've heard this before. Where have I heard this before? Because you will find that in Season 1, Episode 5, during a flashback, that exact picture is on the back of a newspaper that Bojack's dad is reading at the table. Oh, so the continuity levels are there in space. We move on to the Gathering of the Team montage, the Ocean's Eleven montage, as you mm. called it. Lockpick number one, who um, Bojack tries to recruit the number one lockpick, uh, turns him down. <laughs> But actually, you may recognise him because he's one of the skinheads who Todd went to prison with in season one. There's also a wonderful bit where... <laughs> I'll get, a, I'll get a log pick two in just a second. She will come into it. But lockpick three, as you remember, just happens to be someone who can pick locks. And it's Todd. Uh, <laughs> who is, at the time of being asked, playing pool with a baguette, two tomatoes, an onion and a watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> Which is magnificent in all of the ways. Um, we do also get the recruitment of Margot Martindale, who is in prison and she's up for parole. As we were told, if you remember rightly, on the news ticker in the episode, mm, Diane is yes. in the middle of the news cycle. Um, we get a little screenshot of her prison file. <laughs> she's about to leave. And on there is a few interesting things. One of them is there's a bunch of boxes about how she feels. She's ticked the box that says regretful, which is nice to hear. But also <laughs> at the bottom, there's things that she's done and reasons why she should be allowed to leave. And here, here's a couple of them, Michael. One says she only bit one inmate's finger off, which is, <laughs> which is quite restrained, if you ask me. She says she only started two riots, which is still pretty mm. good. Um, and she also makes a delicious pruno, Michael. Right. <laughs> well, the world needs that. Hey, listen, she's bringing good wine to inside prison, which who, who <laughs> could argue with that? But as we find her being released, back to lockpick number two, Michael, because you will see on the wall there are a bunch of wanted posters, and one of the people who is wanted is the second lockpick who no. Bojack was asking, because of course there is. These guys know how to make details count in every mm. single way. We go back to Bojack's house, and he's doing the heist plan with his little scale model of the Nixon Library at this <laughs> point. He also brings in a little model to represent the strip mall, which, if you were paying attention, he uses an armadillos box, which goes back to the Lady Footlocker. It's their version of Adidas, and it's yes. the Armadillo armadillo. That's the box that he brings in, and on that box is written... Three labels, I think uh, one of them says tan, one of them says art, and the end one says filth, because there's a <laughs> tanning salon, an art gallery, and an adult bookstore, which are all yeah. labeled on the box. Uh, brilliantly, when Wanda interrupts to say, I wish you told me that people were coming around, I'm trying to do work here. What script is she working on, Michael? She's working on a script called Fat Guy, Hot Wife, which <laughs> has so many sitcoms that I can recall, but genuinely yeah. the first one that pops into my head is King of Queens, no disrespect, of course, to Paul Blot. That's, That's not his car- real name, is it? That's his character. We've exactly
3: done todd horsing around there. It's, uh... Kevin,
2: what's his name? Smith? No, no, he's not Kevin Smith. No. Different guy. It'll come to us. It'll come to us. I'm sure you're all shouting at your keyboards and whatever. Art Podcast Horseman. Tell us how, <laughs> tell us how stupid we are. Um also on top of that, we also got Alan in there, the panda, who is of course the cable guy, works for the company, shoots and leaves, Michael, cable service, which nice. of course he does. Because he's a panda. In the art gallery, the discount art gallery we go to, a bunch of wonderful stuff in here, tied to the actual real life art world. You will see a picture of a blue dog, which is an actual uh, relation to a real life picture of Blue Dog (laughs) by George (laughs) Rodrigue. Uh, It says Rodrigue, Rodrigue. There's R O D R I G U E. Rodrigue. I'm going to call him Rodrigue. (laughs) (laughs) Close enough. Anna Geddes, though, she's a photographer, Michael, and she Mm. is known for the photographer for the pictures she takes of the babies with like the sunflower heads on, sitting in plant pots and all that kind of thing. You will see there's a picture like that in there that she's got on display. Also, we have the dogs playing Connect Four on the background wall, which is, of course, a nod to do the dogs playing poker, which is a a picture by Cassius Marcellus Coolidge. Uh, On top of that, we get the Thomas Kinkade painting, which is, of course, Thomas Kinkade, a real artist, but that's the painting that uh, Princess Carolyn goes into in her mind. Love the title of this though that was written on the wall which was just called Glowing Fuzzy Nonsense and it was <laughs> from 2013 as the picture will tell us. Very on nice. top of that was also the painting of a bull versus a matador a very typical Mexican scene only in this Michael the bull is of course a person and the matador is fighting him in a boxing match because that's how they should probably settle it. Yeah. Um, there's a sculpture in the corner of a horse that's made from driftwood which is in relation to real life a uh, horse driftwood sculptor. Heather Janch. I hope I've got that name right. But oh, yes, nice. obviously I imagine that's a Lisa Hannibal thing because she does mm. love her horses. Brilliant deep cut as well to get her in there. Indeed. Thank God she does because, Christ, if she didn't love horses, we wouldn't have this show. <laughs> um, and also, Philip Shelton's Man Diving is immortalised in his sculpture of a dolphin diving in this one instead, which I thought was quite nice and neat. Mm. My Lord, always a few in this. Let's cut back to the Nixon Library. Some wonderful books on the shelves of Richard Nixon Michael. One of them is How to Be President. <laughs> One of the books is called Leading a Country. Yeah. And the third book, we should have seen it coming, really. The third book on the shelf is 1001 Crook Tips. <laughs>
3: like, this is, these are good Nixon gags. This was made yeah. in 2015 when Nixon was the most obvious president to make jokes about. Like, it just, I don't know, these pre- like the frenemies list. It's hard yeah. not to imagine, again, at time of recording, that the president doesn't keep a frenemies list in his desk drawer at the moment, <laughs>
2: It's just He's weird. probably got an actual list on Twitter, hasn't he? The current yeah. one, <laughs> Just put them in there. Bookmarked tweets. <laughs> but there are some wonderful pictures in this office as well, Michael. There's one of them. There's a picture of the moon landing. And if anybody's paying attention, the person who was landing on the moon is wearing a, a rabbit-shaped helmet because the, the person who was taking those first steps on the moon is indeed a rabbit. I can only assume the best that I've managed to, to draw from this is that this, Michael, is... Bugs Aldrin, as in Bugs Bunny. Bugs Aldrin. I'm sure if anybody has an alternate, you can let me know at Podcast Horseman. But I feel like that might be it.
3: I love that one. Um, I do feel it needs a bit of clarification, so we'll add that to the list for RBW when he comes on the finale. <laughs> we'll, stick on the, we'll stick on the questions list because just, I just—I think that's—I I think that's spot on. But like, there might be another reason why he chose Rabbit on the Moon.
2: Listen, I'm just going to tell you now, full disclosure. If he doesn't come on for this, you're the one who talked it up, so you can be the one who pretends to be him for the, <laughs> of the podcast. I look forward to hearing your impression. The other, I've got p- so many answers
3: to questions. Is that know.
2: <laughs> what do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. <laughs> the other picture that is on the, in the office, though, there's a picture, the famous picture of George Washington crossing the Delaware. That picture is by, the real picture is by Emmanuel Lurz. I hope I've got that surname correct. But in this one, the picture of George Washington is depicted and George Washington, Michael, in the world of BoJack, was an eagle, an eagle person. Of course he was, a bald-headed eagle on a boat, driver name before, he probably massacres a bunch of people, who knows. <laughs> uh, but also, a brilliant gag in there, when they get rumbled by Richard Nixon's illegitimate son, the security guard, Mr. Butter just drops to the ground and plays dead. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was wonderful because he's dog, Michael. I don't know if you know that. Yes. Uh, Mr. Peanutbutter Dog. Uh, <laughs> we go to just a couple of quick things I noticed here. In Cordovia, Diane's got in her tent a few snippets on the wall. One of them is something that reads, 36 journalists under 36 you imagine that might be her name included in there somewhere or other. Um, we also get a Metro News snippet that says carpet bombing in Cordovia. Nice. Um, we cut back to Princess Carolyn's dream and in there Princess Carolyn is being spoken to by Vanessa Gecko who is reading the latest issue Michael, of course of Variation magazine which says when when it all starts going wrong and Gecko starts finding herself <clears> on the rise, it says maid moves mill to get mill movie made. And of course <laughs> she's having a great time by all accounts at this point as princess carolyn's whole dream world falls in on itself back in the fine fine art gallery again um martindale of course references she's pissed off michael because people keep forgetting these wonderful character (laughs) actors and another two who she names in that bunch she says this is for you cch pounder and this is for you john carol lynch and all the other people who got forgotten along the way which was a wonderful touch i thought Mm. because anybody who's thinking who are these names? Just Google them, look at the faces and you go, oh yeah, those two, I know those yeah. two, but you, I bet you didn't know what the names were because I didn't either. Outside of the Nixon Library, we get um, a, <laughs> a wonderful blink and you'll miss it thing here. Peanut Butter is, he's just before about, to get, he's about to get the phone call from Diane. He stepped outside, Michael, to get some fresh air after the difficult role of playing as <laughs> the dog, in a full <laughs> suit. We'll not get into that. And he walks over, he just sees a water hydrant, Michael. He sees a water hydrant and goes, uh, and he un- he goes to unzip his pants. <laughs> he goes to unzip his trousers because naturally he's thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna have a wee on this. <laughs> and just before he does, he gets the phone call from Diane, which I thought was brilliant. Very good. And speaking of the phone call with Diane, we go back to Los Angeles airport. You will see Michael in the airport is an eagle who's waiting for their bag, and that eagle has a broken arm because of course they do why else would an eagle be waiting at the airport, Michael? <laughs> They've got a broken arm. And also in the background, you see there's a, a, a plane in the background with a little advert on the wing. Mm. And the airline, Michael, instead of Virgin Airlines, is Celibate Airlines. Nice, very good. Because this show is better than everything that you watch. Also, <laughs> as Mr. Peanut Butter is on the phone, he realises, oh my God, I'm supposed to be hosting a game show. <laughs> you get a magnificent cutback. And you just see Ethan Hawke, who is, of course, a hawk, just standing around in the set, (laughs) waiting for Peanut Butter to ask him the questions, at which point, instead of shouting how angry he is, he just says, Gah! (laughs) Last couple here, in fact, last one here, is just a tiny little thing. Back on the set of Secretariat, we see, as Kelty has been fired, someone else has been brought in who looks like they're behind the camera with Lenny Turtletoe. It's a catfish, Michael, who says on their hat that they've gone fishing. (laughs) Nice, very nice. (laughs) Of course, they have those. Are all of your pieces and bits and bobs for horsing around some real caucus in there? Mm. But it is now the time of the show, Michael. Where despite the show seems to get longer and longer every week, (laughs) we do still have time. Allegedly, I'm speaking to our producer, which is me. Yes, we do still (laughs) have time for one last thing, and I swear to God, I'll shut up about this podcast forever. I have just hit a mass panic. Because I technically don't have one anymore because we ended up covering it in the episode. But would you like to go?
3: I will, if that's all right, because I want to talk about money. Uh, Nicholas, you told me when we started this, we were going to make our millions and it hasn't happened. No, money (laughs) in this episode specifically. Um, I found it really interesting, the positioning of wealth and its importance to all of this. It remains um, the evil, ultimately, that funds the power. So the three key areas where I spotted it were in... Even the promise of some from Ruda Baker to Princess Carolyn, we don't know of what funding or what backing or what actual strength of this company is, but he just says it. And the idea that it exists, the idea that he can move her forward with his wealth and his newfound power is good to her. It's a way to use. Um, next, we go on, obviously, to the pretty heartbreaking uh, death of the Richard Nixon scene and, uh, and Kelsey's role in the film because of budgetary concerns or because Lenny Turtletob, the money man at the top of this film, wanted things done his way. Again, the absolute power that money held above all else. That reminder that, um, and you know, we kind of we're in this game ourselves sometimes, numbers outrank letters when it comes to getting things done. It's not always the nicest like kind of powers that control it, but again it's so funded by money. Mm-hmm. And finally, and especially for me, was uh, Diane's realisation with that line about the hospitals. Um, by obviously the hospitals are for the alive people rather than the dead ones. So incredible that line was because obviously what it did is it got you into the head of a billionaire that can just toss that money aside like it's nothing, but only for the people that can give him credit for after the fact. Why, in his mind, not my words, his words, waste money on the people that are going to die and not be there to give him credit. And I thought that was... A really astute commentary on the, and I use this term in inverted commas that people can't see on this podcast, but the philanthropy of those rich people that we are kind of hit over the head with every day. Mm. We're in a time in the human race's existence at the moment where people are being asked to come together, where there are calls in lots of micro ways, little miniature versions of socialism, effectively I'll say it, I know it's a dirty yeah. word in some circles, but just for people to come together, ultimately, to, to yeah. be a bit more communal, to look after one another. And then you are very aware that, like, a few billionaires could fix all of world hunger with one swipe of their checkbook and don't. Or you could see one industry, the arts, for example, something very close to both of us, could be yeah. saved by one swipe of a checkbook, but isn't how football clubs will put their staff on furlough when there are billions being turned through those clubs and so on and so on and so on there are limitless examples and it just reminded me this of here is that for all that these billionaires talk this good game it is more important that they're seen to be talking a good game rather than actually doing one because doing one where's the fun in that where's the fun in actually saving the world where's the fun in actually doing right and i just like that that was like even in sebastian st Clair building hospitals it was still the Root of Evil, just as it was for the other characters throughout. It remained a running theme, but his was the most pronounced.
2: Yeah, I think you're right on the money there, because quite literally, right on the money, <laughs> um, because I think they're obviously trying to hammer that message home, and it's it's one that the show has not shied away from either. Like, how many times are we presented with these things, these guys and gals that are actually really very good people? Like, I think you have always, always championed the comment of, there are no babyface billionaires, and I... It took me a while because I did try to find a list. I remember the day I tried. Just <laughs> to say, what about this person? What about this one? And ultimately, I think you might be right. But I think this might segue nicely into what I was wanting to talk about. Let's kind of stick on a similar theme here. We did, we have now covered it in all, almost all of the bases, but not quite the thing I wanted to discuss, which I thought was really clever how they did it, um, is the physical aspect of all of this, like the men in Hollywood and Hollywood, rather. Um, because... In this episode, they are very specific to show us um, two big instances of physical, but another one more of the mental side of it. But um, each time we see the women, so Diane it is, and Princess Carolyn, and Kelsey in this mm. episode particularly, um, there's some really, like, highlighted more, I guess, nowadays, but there's some really inappropriate um, like, physical touching of the women in this episode. Rutabaga, when Carolyn comes in the, in the cupboard, Mm. grabs her puts his hands on her like completely unsolicited puts his hands on her and pulls yes. her in towards him like for an embrace that wasn't asked for wasn't like notioned mm. by just yeah. grabs her it's, he's, he's throwing these big grandiose things at her and then is hoping that's going to woo her and just he has the right to grab her because they're in this typical setting in a closet somewhere where the doors mm. are shut and nobody else can see which just felt seedier, a lot more seedier than maybe the first few times I've watched it. Um, even, and even it felt seeded in, but this felt really yeah. impactful. But on top of that, we also get uh, Diane with Sebastian Sinclair. The amount of times Sebastian Sinclair, watching the episode back, he grabs her by the arm, or puts two arms on her, arm, like on a shoulder, that kind of, the power dynamic of, I'm bigger than you, I'm in, I'm literally in control of you, what mm. happens to you is, is up to me. And, Diane just kind of haven't like after everything she's been through with Hank Hank Hippopoulos and all of the people involved, this is like sort of it's breaking her personal boundaries. It's breaking everything. It's like almost he's literally putting the arm on her entire ethos and just kind of holding it down in place and saying like, "Not the way we do things around here. I'm the star of this show. You very much aren't." And while Lenny Turtletop didn't physically touch Kelsey in this episode, he might as well have, especially that especially around the line when he says, good shrug kid, mm-hmm. and ultimately when he sacks our ass, basically, as he puts it. Yeah. like Just such a cavalier way of putting it. It's, the, it's about as physical as you can get with words without actually touching someone, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. And that's just something, I, I have no doubt in my mind it was very deliberate by them because it's the, this overpowering men who are just standing over the top of these women, hold, literally holding them back, holding them in place, or yeah. verbally keeping them where they're meant to keep them. I just thought that was another layer to that that maybe we hadn't quite covered.
3: they never, you know, they're animating the show. They could choose not to animate that scene. They could yeah. choose to direct it in a different way and they don't. They don't shy away from anything and they want us to see it and they want us to re-watch and catch it if we're looking again for more of that messaging. It's not that it's not subtle because it's not something that it leaps out at you, but it's there on rewatch for spotting as you have done there because they want that message out. And it's, again, it's the very noble intentions of this show that we continue to find pretty timeless. I know five years isn't an age, but it might as well be in the five years that this is covering. Um, It feels like 20 over the last five years in virtually every sort of social and economical impact on the way the world's gone. So I just think that for this to already feel so timeless is incredibly powerful stuff.
2: It is. And also, this was when you think about the show itself, it was kind of, what's about, maybe three years before the the first Me Too movement Mm -hmm. kind of thing happening, which... I know we've got we've got the second wave now, which is obviously was long overdue. Still, but this is the fact that it sort of precedes all that. It just it just shows you one how long this stuff has literally been going on for, but two how long people have been aware about it and just haven't had a voice to get it out there and haven't used yeah. this show to do just that. But speaking of this show, and I guess speaking of our show, let's just quickly give you some plugs before we finish this one, because as always, we're. Sort of creeping over, but hey, they love it, Michael. They are bloody love it. I come back every week for it regardless. I hope they do. Please do. We've got <laughs> well, at least
3: one more that says they do at the end of this. It's okay. It turns out okay.
2: We do. We do. At least we get one more. Fingers crossed. <laughs> one more for everybody. But yes, if you do like what you're listening to or you like the guys who are doing it, you can follow this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast Horseman. Or if you're feeling like you'd like to take a dive into the minds of two geniuses who run a show... <laughs> then you will be able to find them on Twitter. But you can also, you can find us too, though, we will be kicking around. You can find myself at It's Adam Nicholas on Twitter, or you can find Michael Hamflit.
3: At Michael Hamflit, I promise you there is too much wrestling. You can uh, listen to the <laughs> podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe on that. Obviously, we'd love it if you subscribe. Helps us get up at the charts, as you've heard, on every other podcast you've ever listened to. It's really great. People can see us. Uh, you can follow along on Spotify. You can listen on Podbean, Stitcher, Acast. You can find the podcast embedded in the Tweet, every Friday on the app podcast horseman Twitter feed pretty much anywhere you're looking for podcasts you can go find them and if you do listen on Spotify or podcast you can leave us a five-star review it's great for the algorithms it helps us get seen and it gets more people talking themselves horse about the talking horse and a five-star review is exactly what feasible left us thank you very much feasible for the review you've said a great listen uh, be looking for Bojack Horseman podcast to listen to as I love the show so happy to find a British podcast analyzing the episodes of series one looking forward to more and I hope you're stuck with more we're deep into season two and believe me all the rest are coming this is absolutely a labor of love even though we still find ourselves socially distanced thank you very much a start on the hollywood talk of fame will be winging its way over to you via our socials very soon
2: well you couldn't have given me a better layup here because i was just looking at some of the synopsis synopsis is that for multiple ones it is, now. It. It I like is it. now synopsis because we've got three absolutely incredible episodes of bojack horseman to come the first of which in this season, season two, episode 10, and it's called Yes And. Todd gets sucked into the cult of improv comedy. (laughs) Wanda thinks Diane is a bad influence on Bojack when he has to deal with a career crisis. And this this podcast is spoiler-free, as always. We will maintain that forever. I will tell you, though, everybody listening, you are in for the beginning of three podcasts. Wonderful, wonderful episodes, and for me, this show is amazing. These episodes, you'll find somehow get you to the next level, Michael Hamlet. I think that's fair to say.
3: If you thought chickens was good,
2: (laughs) if you like chickens, see these Diaz. Anyway, with that in mind, I've been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamlet, and this has been Podcast Horseman.